Hi everyone and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. My name is Caleb Mason and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend part of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. And today I am honored to be joined by Peter Enns, who is the author of so many books, some of my favorite books that he's written, or not, he's written some of my favorite books, let me say it that way. And he is the author of his, of this most recent book, Curveball, When Your Faith Takes Turns You Never Saw Coming, or the alternate title, which is How I Stumbled and Tripped My Way into Finding a Bigger God. Now, on this podcast, you know, we, we you know, we learn about everything and everything from serious to not serious. We engage in all sorts of conversations. We're not afraid about having really any type of discussion or learning about anything. And we're going to get into a whole lot of that today on the podcast. Now, if you've been listening for a while, or if you find yourself being a lifelong learner and you just want to continue on this journey, I would just uh, ask for you to please subscribe to my Substack, where I just give a bunch of recommendations for some of the, the best things that I am currently learning from, whether that be books, movies, uh, articles, podcast episodes, <laughs> comics, whatever, literally anything that I'm interested in learning about. You could find all of that stuff on there. Fiction, nonfiction, you know, just everything. And so you can find all of that stuff in the show notes. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Peter, and then we're going to jump into the conversation. Peter Enns is the Abram S. Clemens Professor of Biblical Studies at Eastern University in St. David's, Pennsylvania. He has taught courses at several other institutions, including Harvard University, Fuller Theological Seminary, and Princeton Theological Seminary. He is the host with Jared Bias of the Bible for Normal People podcast. And as we find out in this conversation, there's a brand new podcast, Faith for Normal People as well. He is also a frequent tr- contributor to journals and encyclopedias and is the author of several books, including some of my favorites, which are How the Bible Actually Works, The Sin of Certainty, and The Bible Tells Me So. And so without any further wait, here is our conversation. Well, Peter, it's so good to have you on uh, the podcast today. Sure, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you know, just as we're getting started, as I was going through the book, you had this quote, which I think might be a fun place uh, to start, and really got my attention. Is um, you said that I spent so much of my life unknowingly abdicating the task of taking full responsibility for my faith, and I was just curious, like, to kind of take me through what that time in your life looked mm-hmm. like. Like, what did that abdication? look like for you well well, i think for for me it was just um you know we i I think it's we all have sort of like an inherited faith and what's handed to us and for me it wasn't really my parents it was more church influences i had when i was young and you know you just sort of like psychologically sociologically sort of slide into a community and you don't really question it very much. And I don't mean in a, in a negative or condemning sort of way, just, you know, I just went along with it, you know, and, and I think that wound up biting me in the pants, you know, later on in life. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who have a similar experience, you know, that, you know, they, they love their church life. However, um, it, you know, it's just here, here are the rules and here's where you go and you just sort of take it up and you think that's normal. And, and my church was fine. It was a good church. It's just, you know, it had certain ways of thinking and certain ways of doing things. And um, you just sort of accept it and just go along with it as if that's it, that's Christianity at that point. And, and I think it's too much to expect people to be self-aware enough at certain ages to like really interrogate what's going on. 
but for me that had to happen later on yeah why do you think like that seems to be like a pretty normal thing that i think happens Mm -hmm. is you know people grow up in their faith maybe don't take responsibility for it or um or parents or aunts and uncles or whoever you want to say just think that that's a natural thing that's going to happen what do you think is like behind that well it's interesting you know i had a student of mine a few years ago i think we were talking about the book of revelation in an intro course and um, I was giving her a different way of interpreting, well, I was giving the class a different way of interpreting the book of Revelation, not as a predictor of what's going to happen in Israel in 1947, but just um, a way of shaping you into somebody who's not going to make the mistake of merging together politics and religion, which is one way of reading the book of Revelation. It's it's not a, It's not in favor of what's called civil religion, of merging the two worlds together. And I, I said that very purposefully because I know that a good number of our students have that experience in their churches where, you know, the American flag may be up or they sing, you know, or they say the Pledge of Allegiance even in church, things like that. And um, so uh, we were talking about this and she was clearly very taken and moved by this other way of reading Revelation. It was very satisfying to her. And she said, why didn't my church tell me this? And I said, well, it's not because they're bad people, but it's because their focus is on making you be a good church citizen and not being someone who might be curious and wants to question things and wants to push things uh, that need to be pushed. And I think that's part of it. You know, that that's sort of my long answer to a very short yeah. question, which is, you know, I, I think church is about very often in in our experiences many of our experiences church is about okay you're inside stay there don't move you know don't don't wander off someplace you don't know what's out there and if anybody teaches you something different they're very they'll be held in suspicion and i i think it's that that need for that human need for having some certainty and some boundaries in our life and and i think you know that to me that's that's a part of it at least why um why we have this phenomenon of people who um have an inherited faith that they they don't they it's it's never even on the radar screen to question it mm-hmm. i want to go back to you know you mentioning you know abdicating responsibility of your faith do you remember the time to where you know maybe you had the realization maybe maybe it wasn't even a realization or maybe it was just a gradual thing but where you realized, like, listen, I need to take this. I either need to take this seriously or I need to stop doing this. Do you? Yeah, I mean, for me, that happened more, I'd say, after high Actually, after college, that happened to me. I just, I had this moment where I just realized, I don't really, I say I believe stuff. I don't really know what I'm, I'm talking about. I've never really investigated things. I've just sort of gone along for the ride. And uh, this was about three years before I went to seminary. I was only 21 at the time. And I just started reading everything. I read church history, a little philosophy, biblical interpretation, and things like that, because I felt ill-prepared for believing in something and saying that I believe it, but not having any idea what other people are talking about. And I never had to flex those muscles before because the heavy lifting was done for me. And so getting to that point was very liberating. It was, it was very exciting actually to be at a point where I, I could curiously engage and interrogate my faith and read things from different perspectives. And I wasn't a big reader in college either. This is a big shift for me to read. Um, but I just felt I needed to do that. That, that happened after college. Mm-hmm. So not being like a big reader, did you just do it through like, was it just like you forced yourself to do it or what helped you? Because I, I mean, had, now you're a professor, you're writing books, all that stuff. I know. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Um, <laughs> how did it happen? The sky opened up and I heard a voice saying unto me, Pete, you must read books now. Um, no, it was really, I mean, the the fuller story, I'll, I'll be brief about this, but yeah. the story is after I graduated college, um, I went with a friend of mine who had gone to another Christian college, a bit more conservative than mine. And we went to our high school um, Thanksgiving football game. 
And in the parking lot, we met another friend of ours we hadn't seen in four years who uh, was an atheist and a philosophy major, who, by the way, was flipping pizzas at that point. But that's what happens if you're a philosophy major. Kids don't do that if you can avoid it. It's a great major to learn things from. But anyway, um, but they started talking about philosophical matters about the existence of God, the nature of God, whether God can be known and things like that. And I didn't spend my college years thinking about that at all. I just had this mm -hmm. faith that I sort of went with it again. And I basically played baseball. That's what I, all I cared about in college. And so I, I left that conversation just watching and not being able to add anything to it. And I felt actually a little bit ashamed that, you know, I've got this faith and as I say, I believe in it, but I just, I've never bothered other than casual Bible studies and things like that. I've never bothered to do anything with it. So that's the moment when I was 21. And then mm -hmm. for the next three years, I just read everything and I read the Bible. I don't know how many times I read the Bible. And then I went to seminary after that. And so I, I hit the ground running and it's, you know, I have really haven't looked back since. Um, yeah. But for people who know me, they know that that's that's a pretty big shift because I didn't really like reading that much. Yeah. You know, now it's like I have to read and I want to. I have the energy. It was like a switch yeah. off inside of me. That's really what happened. Yeah. What happened after that conversation? Because, you know, you you have this mentality like, hey, I do want to start owning my faith. Did you just like pick up your Bible or like how did you decide what to do next? I that's I don't I wish I could remember that and package it and sell it to people for a lot of money because <laughs> yeah. that would be great. Um, but I don't remember. I think. I remember early on getting some books from my brother-in-law who um, was a seminarian at the time and not, not near me, but in Kansas city. And um, I borrowed some books from him and I just started searching, you know, back in the day, you couldn't just go to Amazon. We had the Christian book distributors was a big place. CBD yeah. was a place. Now CBD, I think is something else. I think it's <laughs> helps you sleep, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. so I, I just started looking around and I really, I don't even know most good things in my life. I don't really know how they got started and I can't analyze mm -hmm. it. All, all I know is that I just became very, very quickly. And I, I was just, I was drawn to how deeply thoughtful people are about this faith and how differently they think about things than I do. And I found that to be very exhilarating and, and and I think in a certain way, even affirming of just the nature of faith that I, I'm not defining its boundaries. I'm just a dummy trying to figure things out. Hmm. Yeah. That even make like that even, I mean, I'm sure that you see this too in like the classes that you teach. I find like, I find that more and more often that people are like searching for that, like, for like you could call it the passion, the deep intellectual knowledge of it. Like they want to get invested in right. in something, whether it's faith or not faith or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I th for me, though, I mean, I will say that the downside of that, you know, if you have a spiritual awakening, which is basically about gaining knowledge, I mean, that's a good thing, but they can go sour pretty quickly too, because we all know what happens. You know, it just, mm -hmm. you start, thinking you're smarter than everybody else. And I certainly had those times in my life. Some people say I still do, but that's not true. I'm a really nice guy and I've grown up a lot in the past 40 years, but, <laughs> um, but it's true. You know, it, it can be intoxicating to know things about God that people sitting in the pew next to you have no idea what you're talking about. You can get a real, mm -hmm. you can get a buzz from that. But, you know, it was that was my we all have our entry points to, I think, a yeah. deeper life of faith. And that was mine. And and I don't regret it at all. It's been wonderful. And I've you know, I've certainly grown and changed a lot over the last 40 some odd years. Hmm. Yeah. What helps you, you know, fight that like pride in yourself that, that sometimes can come from, you know, knowledge? It certainly can. In fact, it typically comes from that. Um it's hard to be, well, you can be prideful about anything. You can have a really good track record of service to people and you can, it's sort of yeah. like Jesus says, you know, 
when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, that you always have that possibility. It doesn't matter what it is. It's sort of like, you know, the, um, the YouTube video of somebody bending over to somebody who's just a homeless person lying in a gutter and giving him money and talking with them. And it's just, okay, who's taking the video and you yeah. know, what, why are they doing this? You know, it's like, yeah. I, I don't know what the point of it is to put it on YouTube so people can see that you're a really great person. But, you know, we all have the problem with pride. Um, I'm not immune to it. I, I have met very few people in my life who don't have some issue with it. And it doesn't matter. It's part of our nature, I think, <laughs> to be mm -hmm. a little bit self-absorbed, yeah. you know. So, um, uh, but yeah, it's like, like I said, I just, I've, I'm thankful for how the journey began. Mm -hmm. um, and it's moved a lot over the years and we all have our starting points and we all grow. And that's why we have to be careful not to judge people too quickly because we don't know where they've been or where they are. So, yeah. and here I am. Yeah. You know, I, I want to go back to, um, you know, abdicating faith. And I kind of want to look at like the, the, the opposite of it, of like, what does like taking responsibility for your faith look like like is it like as, as simple as like following your curiosity and the questions that you have or is it something more than well that? i think it's basically that no i agree with you i think yeah. that's basically what it is which is and the curiosity is something that will i think expand you and not restrict you and it's something that's born out of i mean curiosity is a good thing it's not a bad thing you know, when we're talking about ultimate reality, how can you not be curious about these things? And I think that's really it for me. It's like, it's okay to ask that question. It's okay to think differently than other people do. And that's really what it meant for me. That's what it came down to. And um, that is taking responsibility means, I think, listening to that inner voice that we all have not necessarily obeying it, but listening to it. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I say that very intentionally because I know many people are raised in churches saying, don't trust your intuition, don't trust your gut, trust the word of God. Well, I'm actually having a gut reaction to the word of God. That's my issue. Like, is like, why does everybody die in chapter six of the Bible? Is this the best, <laughs> you know, the flood story? Is this the best that God could do? Or is or maybe it's a story, you know, maybe it's a story told from an ancient point of view. And you start thinking about these kinds of things. And it's, you know, I, I hope I'm in fact counting on the idea that God understands that we're humans and mm -hmm. curiosity is a part of what it means to be, I think, a fully developed human being, even about your religious faith. But many people are raised to think, well, that's the one area of your life that should never be touched by change or by curiosity or by growth. You just need to keep holding on to the same things. And that's why you have extremely intelligent people who are doctors or, you know, lawyers or engineers or whatever, and they may still have a faith that's sort of stuck in seven-year-old and very simplistic thinking. And I just think that this whole faith business is worth much more adult attention than that. Mm, yeah. What's capturing your curiosity right now? Um, I'm sort of exhausted from writing this book, Curveball. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, but it's you know, it's always it has been for years now. You know, I I'm interested in whether all this faith stuff actually works. You know, this Jesus mm -hmm. thing, this Christianity, does it actually work? Or are we just kidding ourselves? Mm -hmm. And that's why I want to. I do like thinking about physical reality as we know it and how our God talk can sort of match up with, you know, things like an infinite multiverse kind of, that's mm -hmm. about, I mean, what else do you say after you said, just said an infinite multiverse, um, yeah. you know, quantum physics, I have a chapter in the book, uh, Curveball on quant two chapters on quantum physics, which I don't understand, mm -hmm. but I think it's fascinating. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 science is a big deal for me because it's done such a good job of explaining so many things, and we rely on it. We're deeply scientific people, but we still go around saying things like God is up there looking down. How can that? There is no up. 
There's no down. You know, and and plus, is God like located in a galaxy and looking down on this planet, or is maybe God woven into everything? You know, that, I mean, that's which is what I believe. I believe God is a part of all of reality, all of matter. He's in everything and through everything, including all of us. Yeah. And you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even pondered that had I not been faced with some, for me, scientific realities. And that's my entry point. Again, other people have different one, different entry points, and some born out of deep suffering. You know, they they've learned things, and and I learned from them mm-hmm. about an awful lot. But maybe we can help each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned Curveball, which is your most recent book. Do you kind of want to, you know, maybe unpack the idea of like what a curveball is as it pertains to our faith and even just the concept and the idea behind the book? Yeah, sure. I I took I said curveball because I like baseball, so that's all there yeah. is to it, and that's yeah. that's the end of it. Any questions? Okay, okay. No, but I mean curveball <laughs> is a common word we use to yeah. the things that happen yeah. that are weird. What I mean by a curveball, I don't mean little bumps in the road that we can sort of manage on our own. I mean, those things that happen to us that are unexpected out of nowhere, they can be small things. They can be, like I just mentioned, literally cosmic things and multi-universal things, but Mm -hmm. things that, that just make you stop and think, I don't know how to fit this into my knowledge or my way of understanding God. And and once you say that to yourself, there is no going back. You, you've mm-hmm. you've crossed the line, and you you're aware of something that has entered your field of vision that wasn't there ten minutes ago. And the question is, what will you do? And that's what the curveballs are. And and in the book, I mention uh, curveballs that have been mine. They don't have to be anybody else's, but just here, here's how I've pondered and thought through some of these experiences that I've had that have changed how I think about God and reality and the Bible, you know, the Christian faith, mm-hmm. Jesus and all that. Yeah. One of the things I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, because it made me think of reading through the book and this, this, you know, I don't know, this may not be a good analogy or not, but it got me thinking about like, are there like proactive curveballs versus like reactive curveballs? And like, what I mean by that is like, you know, you're, you're talking about like quantum mechanics and things like that. Like you're in some sense, you are searching to learn about mind blowing science. And in other instances, stuff happens in life. It comes out of nowhere, all of that stuff. Right. And I was just curious if you had any thoughts on that or how they differ. Well, yeah, there are are different kinds of curveballs. I think you're right. And for me though, um, the reason why, quantum physics is or Einstein's space-time continuum, all that kind of stuff that time is relative. I I still don't get it. I mean, it's it's crazy, but those kinds of things, yeah, they're there and they're now you can explore, but it's more when the implications of that just hit me one day. Mm. If you, not long ago, like within the past five years and and very intensely, I just sat there and I, I was reading something and, I, you know, I had just come across quantum entanglement and, you know, the double slit experiment, whether light is a wave or a particle. And, and it just, it just grabbed my curiosity. And I, and I just sat there and I said, I've got some thinking to do about what I'm, what I, what I say, what I mean when I say God, Hmm. you know, and what, what God's, I mean, a theologian friend of mine put it this way. He said, Pete, what you're really interested in is the is the God and world problem, the way in which God engages physical reality, which is an old problem. I didn't make that up. It's just, I said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And now I understand why people spend so much time thinking about this kind of stuff, not just, you know, biblical exegesis, which, you know, I love doing too, but there are bigger questions that I'm interested in. And so even there, you know, with the science stuff, it's still very similar to the other kinds of things I talk about in the book because the implications of it just hit me in the back like a two by four saying, goodness gracious, what what do we, how do we talk about God? That's what, how do we understand God and talk about God in light of 
A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, you know, go through the alphabet several times. There's so many things to yeah. think about. Hmm. Now, what if you have a curveball? What help like what helps you in that? When I when I experience a curveball? You mean um yeah. Yep, when you experience a curveball, like what what has helped you in the past? Oh. I, well, different things at different stages in my life. Sometimes it's just utter panic, like for two years, panic, right? That kind of stuff. Um, I think now in, you know, I can't even call myself middle-aged anymore, but um, now I just take it in stride because I've gotten so used to, and I've, I've so warmed up to and embraced the notion that I can't possibly know everything anyway. So you might as well have a little fun with this and just try to work it out. So Typically, I don't. Um, I might have cognitive dissonance. I may be mm -hmm. uncomfortable for a while with some things and their implications, but I don't like keep it at bay anymore. I don't. I don't think about no. that because it'll all unravel. Well, it is unraveled. It, it, you know, raveling is not the point anymore for me. It's it's trying to exist as an authentic human being who has faith in God, who's a Christian, but who has a bazillion questions because who doesn't <laughs> you know yeah. all you have to do is read the bible and keep one eye open to your reality and 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 you start asking all sorts of questions and um that's and, and so i think i'm more comfortably there now caleb than i was you know maybe you know even as recently as maybe 10 or 15 years ago where i'd be like hmm. oh gosh <laughs> now yeah. I wanna... it was so easy yeah. and then this happened and it's not easy anymore. Yeah. What kind of a ripoff? Yeah. What kind of a bait and switch is that? You know, I was told all my yeah. questions would be answered. This would be easy. Yeah. yeah. Not really. what's, helped, what's helped you get to that place of just sitting like comfortably with not necessarily having the answer to the question? Like, is it just like you've maybe wrestled with it so long? It's like, this is just the normal just because I wrestle with these things. Or is it more? I, I more think that's that? a big part of it. And just. You know, I think experiencing things in my life, some very personal and others, you know, not quite as personal. And I just coming to the point, see, again, this is me now, right? This isn't anybody else, yeah. but I, I like, um, <laughs> I hate to admit this. I'm sort of addicted to control. Okay. And ask anybody who knows <laughs> me, I like what's happening next. I don't like surprises. And I think because of things that happened to me, both you know, intellectually, spiritually, personally, over the years, I gave up on that. I said, I can't do this. I can't possibly, you know, want to control other people. I can't control God. I can't even control myself, although I try. Um, yeah, so I, I came to that realization, I think, just over the years because you know, someone like myself, who's very driven by, who's very comfortable in the world of ideas. And I like ideas and kicking mm -hmm. them around and who has the better ideas and all that sort of stuff. And there's really nothing wrong with that, but it can, it can go too far. It can be an addiction too. And that's certainly my life. And I didn't really even wake up from that realization until frankly, like my late forties, that's when I started, that's like a midlife crisis time. And I could see it. And I just started like reaching out to people who I thought I could trust to talk to about and things like this. And they might recommend books and, or just talking with them and people that have been down that road as well. That helped. I mean, it's not, you don't have to do this yourself. Yeah. You can do this with other people. You should do it with other people. Yeah. You know, just nobody in your church because yeah. they won't get it. That's, that's the thing. You know, so I, I can't, I don't uh, get because that's, sometimes the hardest place for people to go. Well, especially in like um, me and some of my friends have talked about this, you know, I, I work at a church. And so sometimes it could be very difficult to even process your own questions with your own community because it's like, well, it's not even necessarily that I am holding on to this thing or that I doubt completely. I'm just wrestling with it. And some people just can't handle the wrestling. Right. Exactly. Right. And, hmm. and that's, you know, they, they can't that's fine but you you are wrestling so what do you do yeah right and yep. working in a church it's like you're not allowed to almost you know and not all churches but many yeah. churches part yeah. of me understands that but the thing is that if 
even in certain churches where they frown upon that, there are people out there who are absolutely wondering the same things. Mm. Yeah, and they don't have, yeah, they don't have the bandwidth or the room or the courage to talk about it, and and they'll be ostracized for it, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. It was funny. What came to my mind as you were talking about that is like the story of Nicodemus, and like yeah. that is. That is a church leader who's like, I'm having doubts. I need the help. Yeah. And he's just showing up in the middle of the night to Jesus and asking for help. Yeah. Yeah. What's cool too is that it's a, it's apparently not just him because he says, we know. <laughs> like he's got, it, I, I always imagine Nicodemus as that, a, you know, the guy in that really conservative church who's got like six people who are like, do you really think that's true? No, I don't. Okay, good. We can hang out together. So I think he's got this yeah. group of people that he's with and he's just, he's got to figure some stuff out and he's got to approach yeah. Jesus and get some answers. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. why, that's not a bad way to live. You know, <laughs> demand some answers and trying to, of course we won't get them, but yeah. just airing the questions and, <laughs> and living into the, the the idea that the life of faith is about exploring things. It's not just about standing still. Sometimes you have to stand still, but generally speaking, we are, you know, that worn phrase, we are on a journey and we're moving someplace. And how do you want to travel while you're going through this? I don't think the point of believing in the God of the unlimited multiverse the point of this is just to sit still behind, you know, a cage and just be safe in there. I I, I don't believe that for one minute. Yeah. Another quote that you have in the book, which really resonated with me, is you say, I value the, the experiences of my younger years. They're still part of my story. I am still a Christian, but a different sort of Christian than before. And I absolutely love that because just as you were saying on the journey and everything, mm-hmm. we can sometimes have a tendency to think lesser of ourselves or think down right. on our younger selves. Yeah. And you say that there's still parts of it that you love. And I would just love to hear like from your younger self, like what are some of the parts that you still appreciate? Some of the things that you still love from like early in your faith journey? Yeah. I mean, I have from every stage, I mean, there are things, you know, Richard Rohr is big on this. You, you, you include your past as you move forward and, the worst thing to do is just become bitter about everything. Um, and I'd be careful about that because there are people who are like physically and emotionally abused in churches. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. that. That that's a, that's a different, that's a crime. That's a whole different thing entirely. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I remember, you know, a, a, a church that I refer to in, in the book where it was the first place I went to where people laughed in church. Hmm. It was okay to do that. And the pastor was a very good speaker, very loving and funny, <laughs> just a funny guy, just like an, a, a, a New York sense of humor. That's, that's what he had, you know? And, and um, the music that was played there was different than music that I had been used to. And I think those are like little moments just to push you forward. And, and I did make a profession of faith in that church, you know, even though I was raised Lutheran, I, I that was a place where I owned it. That's the place where the journey started, at least more overtly for me. And so I value that, you know, um, but that doesn't mean you stay where you are. I, in the same way, I value my first grade teacher. Mrs. Lemon was her name. I, I didn't make that up, right? Just I, I valued my second grade teacher, Mrs. Stein. But I'm not in first or second grade anymore. That's that's where it started. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've had experiences since then that have led me to contradictory conclusions based on what I had thought earlier in my life. But that doesn't I, I don't look down on that and say, boy, you were stupid. No, I wasn't stupid. I was a kid. I was just trying to figure yeah. things out. And this was a very good context. And and that's why people, you know, they have they have difficult times leaving churches where they've gotten community even though what they're being taught is not something that they can even stomach and it's a hard thing to leave. But well, that's exactly true because 
one thing to value from where you are now is a sense of community that you have. And that's something that you should hold on to and take with you, even if you have to build a new community someplace else. Mm-hmm. I'm curious because I'm curious to ask, you know, you mentioned a couple of different types of uh, curveballs. You know, suffering can be one, you know, exploring uh, your, your scientific questions uh, mm-hmm. could be another one. What are some of the other curveballs that you've just even found in your own life or you just, you know, hear repeated constantly? Um, well, I mean, for uh, for many people, it's. What about women in the Bible? You know, that's a big one. Um, yeah. What about being gay? That's another big one. That I mean, ta- my students, the the curveballs that they want to talk about are those two, and also divine violence. That's those are big things. Those are curveballs that are from the Bible. Um. Which is where a lot of the you know the so-called deconstruction work starts because you start having this cognitive dissonance between what the Bible says and what your own experience is telling you. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's, that's a big place where this whole business uh, can begin. Um, Repeat the question again. I wonder if I get it right. Yeah. I was just asking like, you know, what are some of the curveballs that you see people dealing with? Yeah. And I guess, um, the realization that there are people in the world who don't think like they do and are mm-hmm. Christian or there are people who aren't Christian at all and are beautiful human beings. And that sort of throws your system out of whack. And that, ha- that ha- that's happened to me many times in my life um, where those people who don't go to church with you are suspect. And then you realize that they're really not they're people right and that's that's a huge curveball for people because your whole narrative is based on this this polarizing sort of in and out black and white kind of thinking dualistic thinking as they call it and once that starts shattering which can be for many different reasons but once that starts shattering it's like it's almost like you don't know how else to do this without my tribe is correct everyone out there is either completely wrong or just trying to catch up to where we are. Mm-hmm. And I have been in literally been in situations where they don't just say that silently. They actually say that openly. And yeah, people, people struggle with that, you know, that's, and, 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 yeah. uh, and it, that's the environment that actually I think causes this deconstructive thing because there's no room to move and Mm -hmm. you're eventually going to break out of the cage. You're not going to stay there. Mm -hmm. I want to go back. You know, you mentioned uh, your students and some of the curveballs that you, or that they uh, struggle with. We, we all have people in our life to where it's like, we have someone who's going through a curveball. Whenever, whenever someone brings like a question to you, what have you learned about like how to how to handle that question well and like help guide someone as much as you can through or be there with them through yeah. that curveball. That I mean that's a great question. I think it's a very very difficult one to answer in terms of um, you know one size doesn't fit all. I know you're not saying oh, yeah. that, but it's just you can't. It just depends on who it is, and um, there are many things that I wouldn't even say to people because they may not be ready for it. And that sounds really condescending, but I don't mean it that way. Just, you know, I've, I'm not going to dump on an 18 year old, something that my 62 year old life has experienced where I've come to peace with things and I've put pieces together. So I think it's very important just to understand that people have a history and they have a present and it's not about turning people into me. It's more just trying to hear where are you coming from? And there are all sort of, let's say, age-appropriate ways of, like, moving people along, respecting their own journey, and respecting where they are, affirming them, who they are and where they are, but also saying, Mm -hmm. well, you know, people think different some of this stuff, and I I happen to think that X, Y, and Z, that makes... um, uh, 
you know, it, 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 um, well, I don't know. It's, you know, it's people have to decide how they want to live. That's really what I'm trying to say here. And it's not my job to impose it on them, you know? Um, but mm. you know, if, if they're receptive to discussions, I, I want to be there for them and at least let them know that I think differently so that they may want to seek me out at some other time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, so it's, it's not about, I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. I'm just saying, this is, this yeah. is how I think. And there are many comments that I get on social media that make it very clear to me that there are many people who aren't where I am. Yeah. But then there are many other people who are, and, and, you know, those are the people I try to focus on. Yeah. That's, that's, I was just thinking about the same thing. Like there, there are people who are like, no, I feel like I, I do need to force my beliefs on you. I need to try to convince you. I need yeah. you to, you know, say certain words and stuff like that. Like, especially whenever it comes to Christianity, what do you think is like behind that or driving that? Because like, that's like, that's, that's just so different than the way that we see that Jesus and even Paul modeled that. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Paul gets cantankerous sometimes but um yeah i like to remind people that you haven't earned the right it's a big difference between paul going after the church in galatia that he built mm -hmm. and you just going nuts on a website that there's a whole there's yeah. a different world different universes of discourse but i think i really do think i don't think this is simplistic to say i think what's behind much of this is fear um, mm -hmm. the fear that your system is wrong. And if your system is wrong, you don't know what you'll do. And those are people, some of these people are very intelligent, but they also haven't had the experience of having their scaffolding just torn down. And they're very good at keeping it up. They're, they're very, very good at it. And they will defend what they think strenuously and it's i think it's it's a fear of of no longer having a narrative that to their satisfaction explains all of reality including what happens to you after you die mm -hmm. and any any sort of thing that you do or say that like seems to be poking holes or attacking that you know i like the jenga tower kind of analogy um, it, you know, they circle the wagons very quickly. And I think the root of it is fear. It's, you know, arrogance is, I think, sometimes disguised fear, um, smugness, um, a, a, a grandiose sense of self and your knowledge, sometimes I think very often rooted in a deep fear that you've built this whole system. And if it's wrong, then what am I? And I, you know, I, I would, I'd be lying if I said I didn't struggle with that as well, but not nearly as much as I used to, because I, I, I now have a model of faith that um, normalizes that struggle. That's, the, and to me, that's been the biggest thing. It's normalizing the struggle is the life of faith. It's not you work it all out so that you can have faith. Faith is actually trying to work things out. Who works things out like this if not people of faith? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I want to go back to, you know, you touched on quantum mechanics some and your learnings about that. I'd love to um, just have you elaborate a little bit more about that and like some of the, you know, the the mind-blowing things that you learned oh, through gosh. that and like kind of your process through reconciling <laughs> it um, in your faith. Right. Well, I wish I understood it all, but... Um... Yeah. I mean, a, a favorite example of mine is, uh, you know, quantum entanglement is what did it to me and what's done it to a lot of people. And the idea behind it, and I hope you don't have any smart people listening to your podcast <laughs> because they're going to, that's not exactly how it works. Actually, I'm very proud because I sent out those chapters on science to many people, including theologians who work in science, but also just physicists. Yeah. And, um, they helped me like not make some common mistakes when talking about quantum physics. And, mm. and since it's come out, I've had two people say to me, I'm a physicist. You did a good job with it. I'm like, yeah, well, I had yeah. help. So, okay. So let me try to do this here. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Take a photon, which is very, very small. And 
entangle it with another photon. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't know, but I there are ways of doing it. You can, you can do something to photons to entangle them, which includes even splitting them in half and having two halves. And the thing is that when you've entangled them, what they do is like, I don't know. Do you have a video portion to your podcast or is this all audio? Mm -hmm. Okay. So like if this is a photon and that's a photon, when this moves, the other one moves exactly at the same time. And that's the issue, Mm -hmm. right? And the thing is that photons just sit there. They're photons. They're moving at the speed of light, right? The thing is that quantum entanglement means that if two particles are entangled, they'll do this mm-hmm. no matter how far apart they are as one does the other does instantaneously the problem with that is that nothing can go faster than the speed of light and, and nothing can go faster than the speed of light if, if you can't go faster than the speed of light everything we know about the universe is is, is rubbish i mean anything einstein mm-hmm. talked about is nonsense it's it's a constant thing 162,000 whatever 168,282 miles per hour per second, rather. That's that's the speed of light. That's what it does, right? So if you have these two pieces like twins that do exactly the same thing at the same end, and it doesn't matter how far apart they are. In other words, theoretic, not just theoretically, this has been proven mathematically and also experimentally, you could have two entangled particles on opposite ends of the galaxy and they're still entangled. Well, how can that be if if the galaxy is 40, 50 million light years away? Exactly. That's the point. They're not communicating with each other. That's the thing. They just know, right? And physicists have tried to explain that. And from what I understand, the jury is still out, like really trying to explain quantum entanglement. And however they understand it, it doesn't matter to me I just think it's fascinating that there's something about the full physical reality of the universe that acts in ways that are frankly impossible on the scale that you and I live on every day, the scale of the very, very big things. Hmm. And we need a God who can handle that. We need a God who can keep up with that. So how do we talk about God in light of that physical reality? Again, I'm I'm very happy to say this is not a new question that I invent. This is yeah. this is the stuff of Christian thinking. You know, this is not new. This is the, and it's it's robust, it's interesting, it's exciting. It sometimes just numbs you into silence, which is not a bad place to go when you're talking about God. Hmm. Yeah. I got two other questions I want to ask you, but before that, I always just love, you know, just giving people the opportunity to talk about anything that that we haven't covered yet, you know, concerning curveball or anything else uh, that you're interested in. Well, I do have a, a chapter on which I'm not going to get into here. This is it's too long, but on uh, basically paranormal experiences, which I have yeah. probably not really had any that I know of, but I know many people who have and near death experiences, out of body consciousness, things like that. And, those things have made me, th- I mean, death is, is just death as a thing makes you think, mm-hmm. right? And that's a curveball yeah. that everybody faces and we try to avoid it. Like we won't get up to bat if I can use the baseball analogy, yeah. we'll just yeah. stay in the dugout and, until the manager forces, you've got to go hit. You can't. <laughs> so we all have to confront death at some point. And, but I, I've, I've learned to do so with curiosity and not with fear. I'm really not a Afraid, at least I don't think I'm afraid of dying. I am very curious about what all this is about. And listening to what amounts to about 2,500 years of documented testimony, going back to Socrates, of people having near-death experiences and other sorts of things, and then finding out from Dale Allison, who I consider a friend of mine now, but he teaches at Princeton. He's an amazing New Testament scholar who writes a lot about these paranormal things, along with writing an amazing commentary on Matthew, for example. Um, but he's the one who introduced me through his writings to the robust study, clinical studies of these things over the past 100, 200 years. People have really been investigating this stuff and trying to have some of at least clinical rigor in discussing them. And 
uh, you know, University of Virginia has something called the uh, Division of um, Perceptual Studies, which is housed in their uh, Department of Neuroscience. I think it has a much fancier name than that. But, you know, these are not weirdos <laughs> just on LSD yeah. doing stuff. The, these are neuroscientists who have experienced things and are looking into it. And the bottom line is that, according to these people and others, uh, there are things that happen in our reality that we simply can't explain by mm -hmm. normal ways of perceiving. And and to me, that's that's the curveball is the death. This is this is like a helpful thing. This is um, yeah. it's encouraging. But the curveball part, which is not really so much a curveball for me anymore, but it was at one point. People have experienced these things like near-death experiences, a sense of joy, you know, and the light and being led by love and things like that. And people have experienced that who aren't Christian. Mm -hmm. So that opens up a certain question there, doesn't it? That it, it does. it's not just it, the it evangelicals does. and others who get to have this, um, you know, experience that's euphoric and life-changing. It's everybody it's it it doesn't yeah. it doesn't discriminate with you know nationality religion race socioeconomic status when and where you were born it seems to be universal to the human experience so much so that it's hard to just turn away and say nah they're just making that up a lot now you need to read stuff about you know i have some yeah. uh books in the um in addition to dale allison's a few others that i put into the bibliography that are like man if if this is true, I don't, I don't even think we can call things supernatural or paranormal. It's just a part of the nature of existence that we are typically not attuned to, and that's again, that's another thing that's just okay. I give up. I'm just going to watch TV at this point. You know, <laughs> you know, I can't figure this out. But that's exactly the point. I can't figure it out. And you can just more enjoy the ride. Yeah. So I got one other quote that I want to ask you about, uh, you know, towards, I think it's towards then you say the goal of Christian faith is the experience of God, not the comprehension of God. Yeah. Would you mind just elaborating on that and kind of teasing out what to, experiencing God versus trying to comprehend God and what that looks like? Yeah, and I, you know, I come at that from somebody who spent four years as a seminary student and then five years in doctoral work, and the left brain was going overdrive, and and it's good. You know, I, I don't, again, those are part of my experiences. I value them. I like thinking about things, but the older I've gotten, and again, especially starting in my forties, it's more. I I need to. People are going to kill me for saying this. I need to feel God. I need to feel God's presence somehow. And that's elusive. And it's elusive to many people. But to me, that's that's really the goal of experiencing God. And then the thinking can come along for the ride later. Hmm. And, you know, Ian McGilchrist, the neuroscientist, you know, and others have said, you know, we're not thinking beings who feel. We're feeling beings who think. We're emotional beings who think. And allowing my my experience, my intuition, um, without having it pass through the gauntlet of the left brain, um, mm -hmm. it's I, I think that's where God is found because our thinking will never get this right. Our language will never get it right. So, you know, when I take a walk in a path near my house and there are a lot of trees and squirrels and deer. I just, I feel something doing that before I have time to analyze it. Hmm. And I, I, to me, I think that is, that is the point of this is to experience God and to talk about it rigorously. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point is that if all you do is talk and think and try to put the pieces together without the experience. It's like you're missing a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, the last thing I want to, you know, 
want to ask you to elaborate on is I could be wrong about this, but just, you know, um, reading through the book and even just in this conversation, even just reflecting on my own life, I can imagine that there's probably like a great sense of gratitude for going through some of the curveballs that you've been through in your life. Probably not in the moment, but maybe, maybe afterwards, and maybe I'm wrong on that. No, I think you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, um, a lot of gratitude. uh, And I say that because things have happened to me that have affected other people. Right. So I don't want to be thankful. I don't want to say they're thankful necessarily, Yep. but I am. And, uh, but I also, you know, I know people who have suffered in ways that I haven't suffered. And I've heard enough people say, I'm thankful for my cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And when they say that there's a depth to that, it's not superficial. I don't have the right to say that I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself. And that is that, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that I am not today where I was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I'd be. I don't, I don't know if I could stick with this Christianity business if that were the case. If I kept going down that road without sort of a breakthrough to a different way of even thinking about the nature of Christian faith, I don't know where I'd be. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Well, Peter, I know that people are going to want to pick up your book, Curveball, and you have a great podcast for the Bible for Normal People yeah. as well. And, you know, where's the best place? And the second podcast now, too. We have we have Faith yeah. for Normal People, too. We have two podcasts. Oh. I know. We, we're trying to corner the market, I guess, on podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One podcast at a time. We great have wall. two now, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so if people want to keep up with you, you know, get the book, where's mm-hmm. the best place for people to go? Uh, our website, thebiblefornormalpeople.com, and that's everything's pretty much there. But I'm, you know, I'm on all the social medias because that's you sort of have to, you know. But yeah. Facebook, yeah. you know, Twitter and Instagram, I'm there. And um, yeah, so just come hang out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for doing the work and just thanks for a great conversation. Absolutely. Thanks, Caleb. I appreciate it. So as I was reflecting and thinking back on this conversation, one of the things that came to my mind was that it it honestly reminded me of the time to where I decided to take my faith seriously. And for me, I think it was more of a very gradual process. I remember my, my grandma actually died in my sophomore year of high school, and that was the first time that death came that I first really encountered death. And it got me thinking about that. And you know, 16, you know, you're gaining a little bit more responsibility and you start thinking about it more. And I remember that 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 was a big trigger for me that got me thinking more and moving more in that direction. And the reason why I say it was gradual because it probably took until me being 18 and graduating high school and going off on my own to college for me, for it to really sink in about, okay, what does it mean to to engage in my faith? What does it mean to take responsibility for my faith? And at that time, you know, what that looked like for me was, you know, reading the Bible more often, having, having time throughout the day where I prayed. And it has morphed and it has changed a whole lot than just that. And to, you know, as as Peter and I talked about, of exploring my curiosity and following the questions that are that are just rattling around in my mind. And learning that I don't have to be afraid of those things, but those are opportunities for me to explore and learn more about God. And that came that came much later than than me first deciding that I needed to take ownership and responsibility for my faith. But that was still part of the journey in and of itself. And I think also realizing that we can be grateful 
for the curveballs as well. And that we don't have to be grateful. And that doesn't mean that we're grateful for everything that happens because of the curveball either. That there might be some, we could be grateful for some consequences or some after effects of the curveball. And we might not really like some after effects of it as well. And just realizing that, realizing that it's okay for that complexity as well. So those are some of the things that I'm thinking about, you know, after this conversation. If you enjoyed this, please pick up the book. Pick up, you know, you're not going to go wrong with picking up any of his other books as well. And, you know, check out the podcast as well. And, yeah, that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you. Oh, wait, almost forgot. And if you enjoy learning from me as well, please hit up the Substack, and you can check out all the things that I am currently learning from as well and some of book recommendations, just all my recommendations in general. So that is all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thank you to Peter Enns for being on the podcast and for a great conversation. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.